All right, Maxwell, whenever you are ready, go ahead. Okie dokie. Uh, so that's 18 and 19. Actually, 16, 17. Um, a reading from the book of Joshua, chapters 16 through 17. The territory assigned to Ephraim and West Manasseh. The southern boundary of the land assigned to the descendants of Joseph started from the Jordan near Jericho, a point east of the springs of Jericho, and went into the desert. It went from Jericho up to the hill country as far as Bethel. From Bethel, it went from Luz, passing on to Ataroth Adah, where the Archites lived. It was it then went west to the area of the of the Yaphutites. As far as the area of Lower Beth Horon, it went on from there to Gezer and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. The descendants of Joseph, the tribes of Ephraim and West Manasseh, received this land as their possession. Ephraim. This was the territory of the Ephraimite families. Their border ran from Ataroth Adah eastward to Upper Beth Hodon and from there to the Mediterranean Sea. Mikmatath was on their north. East of, east of there, or the border bent toward Tanath Shiloh and went past and went past it to onto the east on the east of Yanoa. Then it went down from Yanoa to Ataroth and Nara, reaching Jericho and ending at the Jordan. The border went west from the from Tapua to stream Kana and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. This was the land given to the families of the tribe of Ephraim as their possession, along with some of the towns and villages that were within the borders of Manasseh, but given to the Ephraimites. But they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived among the Ephraimites to this day, but they have been forced to work as slaves. West Manasseh. A part of the land west of the Jordan was assigned to some of the families descended from Joseph's older brother's older son, Manasseh. Machir, the father of Gilead, was Manasseh's oldest son and a military hero. So Gilead and Bashan, east of the Jordan, were assigned to him. Land west of the Jordan was assigned to the rest of the families of Manasseh. Abiezer, Helek, Asriel, Shechem, Hafer, and Shemida. These were the male descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph, and they were heads of families. Zelophehad, son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Mankir, son of Manasseh, did not have any sons, but only daughters. Their names were Malach, Noah, Ogla, Milka, and Tirza. They went to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua, son of Nun, and to the leaders, and said, the Lord commanded Moses to give us, as well as our male relatives, a part of the land to possess. So, as the Lord had commanded, they were given a land along with their male relatives. This is why Manasseh received ten shares in addition to Gilead and Bashan on the east side of the Jordan, since his female descendants as well as his, as well as his male descendants were assigned land. The land of Gilead was assigned to the rest of the descendants of Manasseh. The territory of Manasseh reached from Ashar to Mikmethath, 
east of Shechem. The border then went south to include the people of, of Ethan and Tapua. The land around Tapua belonged to Manasseh, but the town of Tapua on the border belonged to the descendants of Ephraim. The border then went down to the stream Kana. The cities south of the stream belonged to Ephraim, even though they were in the territory of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh proceeded along the north side of the stream and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. Ephraim was to the south, and Manasseh was to the north, with the Mediterranean Sea as their western border. Asher was to the northwest, and Issachar to the northeast. Within the territories of Issachar and Asher, Manasseh possessed Beth Shan and Iblim, Iblim, along with their surrounding towns, as well as Dor, the one on the coast, and Dor, Tanakh, Megiddo, and their surrounding towns. The people of Manasseh, however, were not able to drive out the people living in those cities, so the Canaanites continued to live there. Even when the Israelites became stronger, they did not drive out all the Canaanites, but they did force them to work for them. <laughs> Ephraim and West Manasseh request more land. The descendants of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you given us only one part of the land to possess as our own? There are very many of us because the Lord has blessed us. Joshua answered, If there are so many of you and the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, then go into the forests and clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Nerephaim. They replied, The hill country is not big enough for us, but the Canaanites in the plains have iron chariots, both those who live in Bethshan and surrounding towns and those who live in Yezreel Valley. Joshua said to the tribes of Ephraim and West Manasseh, There are indeed many of you, and you are very powerful. You shall have more than one share. The hill country will be yours. Even though it is a forest, you will clear it and take possession of it from one end to the other. As for the Canaanites, you will drive them out, even though they do, do have iron chariots and are a strong people. Thank you so much, Maxwell, for reading. So... We are seeing this here, um, kind of the same, or yesterday, this, um, distributing of the land, these properties, the town, the territory, um, so these, uh, kind of unrelatable things, not too much to say, but we have the territory of Ephraim, the territory of the half-tribe of Messiah, so the, Manasseh, sorry, the West, um, and then, uh, the and we have the tribe of Joseph protest. So we're having these boundaries in the cities of Judah, right? Um, given to the most important tribes. And then the land of the most, or the next most important group, um, the two tribes of jo Joseph, yeah, of um, Ephraim and Manasseh. We saw this here. It's separated from uh, Judah by the territories of Benjamin. Um, and Dan, so we'll see this tomorrow in, uh, chapters 18 and 19 as well. Um, and so, yeah, we're having these boundaries, um, lines forming between the territories, um, separating the two from the northern border. Um, but that's basically what's going on, it's not too much to say there. Um, 
and we will see this continued um, tomorrow. Uh, keep an eye whenever you are ready. 29. The voice of God in the great storm. Ascribe the Lord, O heavenly begins. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the sedars. The Lord breaks the sedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. Assyrian like a wild like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to swirl and the and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all say glory. And the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, and the Lord sits enthroned as the as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Thank you, Humana, for reading. We see that this psalm effectively links um the temple, the created world, right? Um, and the heavens as places where God's presence is especially perceived. So, he has power over all creation, right? And desires all of us, man, women, everyone, um, all creation, right? To dwell with him eternally in peace. We know this. As um, St. John Paul II says... Uh, in one of his general audiences, he said that we ought not fear the waters stirred by the storms on the sea, for that same water creates us to him in baptism, which we grow in holiness through our life in Christ. And we see um, what's so beautiful is that the church prays the latter part of this psalm at Mass on the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. And so, Drawing on some of these uh, verses here, uh, first, what's interesting is um, verse 2, oh, the first verse, yeah. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of God, which is, translates to uh, heavenly beings, so it's um, bene olohim. And then we see the, um, ascribe to the Lord, the glory of his name, worship the Lord in holy attire. God's name is sacred, right? We should only be used um, with great reverence, adoration, prayer, right? We talked about this um, second commandment, right? And in any misuse of his name, it constitutes, constitutes that offense against the uh, second commandment. You know, we've talked about how our speech, right? It has purpose um, in his name, so holy. We should give reverence to that. And we see uh, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord 
breaks the cedars of Lebanon. So this uh, refers to God's historic uh, theophanies and um, symbolic power and sovereignty. And so there's several uh, examples that follow and it indicates really his complete control is his uh, supremacy over all creation. Right. What's really interesting right, is the Yishri, he saw that um, that we must surrender to him, right? Surrendering our complete selves to him. But we see in this um, psalm today, really this a reminder and um, cementing for us that he is God. Like, this is God, uh, whose voice we can hear still in the great storm, but he's still so good and sovereign, and we can trust him. Right. We talk so much about trusting and all of that, and then we're just awestruck, right? Because he is God, and we are not. This continuation of um, yesterday, right? Just really understanding that he is God. He gives strength. Right? He does bless his people. And then you see, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So this phrase, it's uh, meant to indicate God's complete superiority over the pagan gods. Um, you remember how many times, right, um, Israelite people and um, everyone in general has this idolatry, right? The Lord is as we've seen, sovereign. He is greater than all these other things and all the other um, idolatries that we make up, right? The idolatrizing of ourselves as well, as we've talked about, right? No, and really orienting ourselves to Him. He is God. I don't know if I mentioned this or not uh, in past Bible studies, but we really take a lot of effort to want to control things or yeah controlling things and worrying about things and um pushing god away in a sense and that takes so much work it's honestly it takes it's very exhausting and it takes more work than just surrendering i'm just like okay you're god i'm gonna trust you that it like it's just so it's very peaceful and it's um just breaks you free of that you know we're always trying trying going 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 um pushing the load away like i got this i got this no we don't right what remember what we said yesterday our human capabilities are going to fall short if we let god work he's going to work right perfectly <laughs> so much better than we could do um we end up hurting ourselves, right? I'm sure many of us have um, experienced this, where we end up doing our own will, and then what happens? Yeah, we find out the consequences for it. So we see that the Lord is so great. We don't have to worry, right? You think about, um, especially this God is in the storm, right? And you think about um, the Gospels, 
Jesus, right, during, during this, um, when he's walking on the water, uh, when they're in the storm, the apostles, right, be not afraid, right, because oh, God's got it, he's got it, the Lord's got it, there's no reason for us to, um, be so worked up, be so worried, because the end, because in the end, the Lord always has us. But that's Psalm 29 for today. Uh, we can move on to Acts. Awesome. Beautiful as always. Um, okay. So you can go ahead and jump in. Book of Acts chapter 13, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who was a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then completing their fasting and prayer, they laid hands on them and sent them on. So they sent forth by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and from there sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They had John also their assistant, John Mark, the evangelist, the gospel writer, Mark. So um, when they had traveled through the whole island as far as Paphos, they met a magician named Bar-Jesus, who was a Jewish false prophet. Notice how St. Luke immediately condemns this man um, on the fact of him being a magician. A lot of people like to claim, like, oh, magic, religion, same thing, right? Very different. Uh, St. Luke clearly condemns it. Um, and we also have, like, contemporary people who you think you can be, like, a Catholic wizard, which is, like, no, it's not a thing for a Christian witch. Anyways, moving on, he says... He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who had summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. So this guy's a pagan. But Elimias, the magician, for that is what his name means, opposed them in an attempt to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also known as Paul, filled to the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all that is right, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, will you not stop twisting the straight paths of the Lord? Every now, even now, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately a dark mist fell upon him. He went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what happened, he came to believe, for he was astonished by the teaching of the Lord. Okay, so if you recall from chapter, back at the end of chapter 12, it says that... Um, Barnabas and Paul completed their relief mission. They returned to Jerusalem, taking with them John, who's called Mark, right? Um, so the, the evangelist, the gospel writer, and they went to Jerusalem. And so now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, right? And so you have these names. Um, and so Barnabas and Saul are set apart um, by the Holy Spirit. Um However, the other prophets and teachers here were ordained, um, probably as deacons, um, to help 
with baptisms and such. Um, an another thing is a lot of people say um, that Paul only focused on the Gentiles and Peter only focused on the Jews and Paul never cared about the Jews. He was focused heavily on the Gentiles and, you know, he's the, he's known as the, the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Well, that's not it at all. A lot of people think that, oh, um, why didn't Jews convert? You know, there was a large amount of Jews that converted. In fact, the gospel was primarily and principally preached to the Jews. Notice here, Paul goes to Jerusalem, right? And that's the first place he goes to. Um, there we assume he preaches, right? He teaches, and then he leaves. Where does he go? He goes to pagan lands. And where does he go? He goes in the Jewish synagogues first in those pagan lands. He preaches first to them. Um, primarily, he was there because of Sergius Paulus, who was a pagan. And he wanted to hear the word of God. He was interested. And upon this magician who was denying God, uh, he was then afflicted with the loss of his sight. And this, in turn, made Sergius Paulus see and believe in God. Uh, see and understand the teachings of the Lord. And so notice here it says he was astonished by the teachings of the Lord. And so um, this is Paul. And, and notice also it says, but Saul, also known as Paul, right? Again, um, not necessarily a name change, but it could just be as simple as uh, the name in the different languages. So think of, you know, Joseph and Giuseppe, or heck, even Joseph and Jose, virtually the same thing. Um, and that would be Saul for the Jews and Paul to the Romans. Um, and it's also, it says, the Holy Spirit's words are set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. So the word, um, you know, Paul refers to him as Paul many times, but notice in his letters, majority of them are written, um, if not all of them, I'm not too sure, to um, Ro uh, or pagan people or people who were pagan and are thus converted. He refers to himself as Paul, right? Um, taking on that name. And the rest of uh, Acts will continue to use Saul and Paul interchangeably. Um, but moving forward, it says here, From Paphos, Paul and his companions set sail and arrived at Persia in um, Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And they continued on from per Persia and re reached Antioch in Pasidia. On the Sabbath, they entered into the synagogue. Excuse me. They entered into the synagogue and took their seats. After the reading of the Law and the Prophets, the synagogue officials sent word to them, My brothers, if one of you has a word of Exhortation, exhortation for the people, please speak. Notice again, as soon as they arrive, what do they do? On the Sabbath, they go straight to the synagogues. They're preaching first and foremost to the Jews. And so Paul got up, mo motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you others who are God-fearing. So um, pagans who would be there. Um, in fact, these these people, the God-fearing people, you'll hear about them, um, they were, in fact, people who were part of the Jewish communities uh, in an imperfect way. Uh, they believed in, in God, right? They revered the Old Testament scriptures. Um, however, for some reason or another, they were not uh, circumcised. So they were not officially entered into the Old Covenant. Um, however, they would still go to the synagogues, walk, talk, and act like a Jew. Um, 
and so uh, they, they were like a, another sort of sect of people. It wasn't just the Jews and then, you know, straight up ge- ge- Gentiles, but they were also, um, I guess, in some sense of the word, a Jewish Gentile audience. And so those are the ones who are known as um, the God-fearing. So he continues, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors and exalted the people during their sojourn in the land of Egypt with uplifted arms. He led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the desert, as we've clearly seen um, from the first five books that we've read thus far. Uh, God has put up with them immensely and has been so merciful and so kind and so patient. Continuing, says, when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Cana, he gave them their land as an inheritance. At the end of about 450 years, after these things, he provided judges up to Samuel the prophet. Um, then he asked for a king. God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Then he removed him, raised up David as their king. Of him he testified, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will carry out my every wish. From this man's descendants, God, according to his promise, has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. John heralded his coming by proclaiming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And John was completing his course. He would say, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. Behold, one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to unfasten the sandals of his feet. My brothers, children of the family of Abraham, those whose others among you who are God-fearing, to us this word of salvation has been sent. The inhabitants of Jerusalem and their leaders failed to recognize him. And by condemning him, they fulfilled the oracles of the prophets that are read Sabbath after Sabbath. For even though they found no grounds for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have put him to death. And when they had accomplished all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These are now his witnesses before the people. We ourselves are proclaiming this good news to you that what God promised our ancestors had been brought to fulfillment for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, Never to return to corruption, he declared in this way, I shall give you the benefits assured to David. This is why he also says in another psalm, You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Now David, after he had served the will of God in his lifetime, fell asleep, was gathered to his ancestors, and did see corruption. But the one whom God raised up did not see corruption. You must know, my brothers, that through him forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. And in regard to everything from which you could not be justified under the law of Moses. In him, every believer is justified. Be careful then that what was said in the prophets not come about. Look on you scoffers, be amazed and disappear. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone tells you. As they were leaving, they invited them to speak on these subjects the following Sabbath. After the congregation had dispersed, many Jews and worshipers who were converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who spoke to them and urged them to remain faithful to the grace of God. So here um, you have one of Paul's first, if not his first homily. Um, and this is his preaching to that of the people here in the synagogue, telling them of right the prophets, the Old Testament, right? Leading up to the expectation of the time of Christ, referencing the Psalms, you know, using scriptures. 
I've said this before, but I want to make a quick note of it again. As many times in evangelization works today, people want to point to, oh, um, the empty tomb is a great evidence. Jesus had to have resurrected. His disciples showed um, beliefs of a risen Christ, etc., etc. But notice here what Peter and Paul have said thus far in the book of Acts. They didn't really talk about those things. They did proclaim the risen Christ, of course. But what were they constantly referring to? But the Old Testament scriptures. They were constantly referring to the fact that Jesus, yes, he was raised from the dead, but more importantly, he fulfilled each and every single scripture. And notice, they don't only do that for just the Jews. You'll see in other examples, they do it also for the Gentiles. Um, the eunuch, I, I believe the eunuch was a Gentile, if I'm not mistaken. I could totally be wrong. Um, but he was taught all these things. And of course, uh, Philip started with the Old Testament. The importance of this being that he started with the Old Testament. And you'll see, and even in our creed, um, in accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven, right? Um, so this is their primary mode of evangelization was the fact that Jesus fulfilled each and every scripture. Um, and so while it's good to reference, you know, the empty tomb and how all these other resurrection theories fail besides the fact that he actually just resurrected, um, it's good to note and be very mindful of what, what in fact, the, the people in Acts spoke about, how they evangelized others. And as you can see, they, they bore much fruit. Um, and so continuing on, he says, On the following Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and with violent abuse contradicted what Paul said. Both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and condemn yourselves as unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the nations that you might be an instrument of salvation to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles were delighted when they heard this and glorified the word of the Lord. All who were destined for eternal life came to believe and the word of the Lord continued to spread through the whole region. The Jews, however, incited the women of prominence who were worshippers and the leading men of the city stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their territory. So they then shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So notice in this section here, they, um, they're, they're back in the synagogues, right? Um, but some of the Jews were filled with jealousy. And so they were opposing Paul and Barnabas. And um, he speaks of here uh, these, these different mention these different I'm not sure if they're prophecies, but he references uh, Old Testament texts, uh, how in the psalm it says, I've made you a light to the Gentiles that you may be an instrument of salvation to the ends of the earth. Um, again, drawing on that idea or that uh, teaching of the church that, in fact, the Gentiles weren't chosen exclusively for themselves, but to be a light to the world. So that salvation may come. I mean, the Jews weren't chosen exclusively for themselves, but to be a light to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world. So that salvation may come by them through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here um, you see that uh, the Gentiles were delighted when they heard this and glorified the word of the Lord. Notice, again, they're speaking to the scriptures. They're speaking to the good news, the word of the Lord, right? That's what they're speaking of. That's what they're evangelizing with. Um, 
because truly, right, Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead is the good news. It is it is the good news. It is the word of the Lord, right? However, in order to understand that in its entirety, to understand it fully as best as we can in our limited human capacity, uh, they would have to turn to the Old Testament text. And in turning to the Old Testament text, they would understand, okay, Jesus is the new Abraham. He's the new Adam. He's fulfilling all these different prophecies. He's bringing back the manna from heaven. He's doing all these different amazing works. That's a fact that's happening. And notice here this reference to the gospel. Uh, Jesus tells his apostles to go out, um, go house to house. If they reject you, shake off the dust from your feet and protest against them. Um, and so Paul's here. Is, Paul and Barnabas are fulfilling this here. And notice the last line, which is a very, very beautiful line. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. I think this is so amazing because look at all that happened here, right? There were some converts. Beautiful. However, they stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they kicked them out. Um, and so blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Why were they filled with joy? They were being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit because they had no fear when going out to evangelize. And that's something beautiful. Something we can learn from these wonderful people who helped the early ministry of our church. Um, if there are no questions,